among the letters of St. Paul are two he wrote to a young man named Timothy. It's an interesting thing to study the history of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul was very much Timothy's senior. As best we can tell, Timothy was in what we would call late adolescence when he became a friend of Paul's. And Paul mentored him and encouraged him and helped him, helped him to realize and understand what his place in the work of the kingdom of God was going to be. <clears throat> and so we turn to the second letter of Paul to Timothy this morning in chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, where we get some insight into what shaped and formed and made the young pastor Timothy who he was. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Day by day, families form habits. They set priorities. They develop tendencies in children. They create impressions. And all of those will give children lifelong directions. What happens in your house is more significant and more important than anything that happens anywhere else in the world. What happens in your house is more significant and more important than anything else in the world. Dr. Tony Campolo is Professor Emeritus at Eastern Baptist University. He's a professor of sociology and religion. He's also a pastor, a dynamic Christian communicator, and probably one whose lessons you have studied in some of your classes and books you have in your personal library. His career began at the University of Pennsylvania, and he tells a story of that time when one evening he and his, and his wife attended a, an event that was a, a rather elegant and sophisticated kind of thing, and he says they just didn't want to go. It, it wasn't comfortable for them. They didn't enjoy that setting, but it was one of those obligatory things that they felt they had to be at, and so they went. They felt that uh, some of the, their associates there were rather uh, uh, uppity and, and zudo in their friendship. So during this time of, of mingling around with, with uh, other faculty members, 
a uh, professor of sociology, someone in, in the same department with Tony, uh, came up and said to his wife in a, in a rather snobbish kind of way, uh, and, uh, and what is it that you do for a living? I love her response. Here is what she said to her inquirer. She, and, and, and let me preface this by saying that, that he writes that his wife was, was just tired, just, just harrowed with the responsibility of, of being a mom. She was, she was just worn out, but there she was at his side at this event at the university. So her response to that question was this. I am socializing two homo sapiens. I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into that kind of eschatological utopia God willed from the beginning of creation. And what, may I ask, do you do for a living? <laughs> I love that response. Uh, let me ask you a question. Where is your home? Where is your home? Now, some of you may want to give me a street address and city. That really is not what I'm asking, and I guess I need to ask my question in another way. Let me ask it of you like this. Where do you keep your home? Where do you keep your home? You see, families are to provide a house for our home. Families are to provide a house for our home and a home for our faith. Let's go back and hear again 2 Timothy 1, 5 to 7. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Whether we talk about a single parent family, a blended family, an extended family, or the typical nuclear family, the purpose of family is to give us roots. The purpose of family is to give us roots. And the greater the depth of those roots, the farther down those roots go, the better grasp we have on our identity and what it means to understand intimacy. As you well know, after all these years, Pat and I were blessed to create and uh, form and guide five children. The most important work we have done on earth is to be their parents. 
children we know love us dearly. They were always supportive of my Christian ministry and their, their mother's work in the, in the preschool here. They love church. Every one of them is involved and invested in the life of, of a church and the communities where they are. But they never wanted to be known as preacher's kids. And that was fine. That was fine with me and with Pat. We knew it wasn't out of disrespect. We knew that they wanted to have their own identity. They didn't want to be known as, as Reverend Hummel's daughter or Pastor Hummel's son. They wanted to be known for their own talents and skills and abilities, and that is as it should be. And to this day, they are not quick to disclose that they're preacher's kids. It's interesting that one of them now is raising a preacher's kid of his own. <laughs> to be children of our parents gives us an identity. To be children of our parents gives us identity. But folks, there is identity that goes far deeper than that which our parents have given us, an identity which every human being needs to find. And that identity, identity gives strength and direction to our lives. That identity is knowing God has a purpose for your life. That identity is knowing God has a purpose for your life. Now, we didn't read the next two verses that I'm going to call your attention to, but listen to these. They're verses 8 and 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted in Christ Jesus from all eternity. What Paul was saying to Timothy and, and Paul wrote these letters from prison what Paul was saying to Timothy is, Timothy, God wants to tell you who you are. God wants to tell you who you are. Church, that's what God is saying to you right now. God wants to tell you who you are. Are you tuned in? Are you listening? Some of you aren't because you're looking at that auction sales bill. God wants to tell you who you are. Let me ask you a question. Who is telling you who you are? Who is telling you who you are? Now that's a probing question. That is a deep question 
Is it materialism and the latest gadgets? Sports and worshiping the winning team? Hedonism and not being able to wait for the next vacation? Is it greed? It may even be your kids telling you who you are. Everybody serves somebody. Everybody serves somebody. The God you choose determines the life you live. The God you choose determines the life you live. So be careful who you crown as your Lord. Our roots give us identity and also provide us with intimacy. Now I want to go back to 2 Timothy 1.5. And I'm going to do what I've suggested that you do in your Bible study and in, in, in uh, your prayers, that you put your name in there or the name of, of those who are significant and very important to you in the scriptures, in the prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to, personalize 2 Timothy 1, 5 for me. For I am mindful of the sincere faith in you which first dwelt in your grandmother Anna and in your mother Grace. And I am sure it is in you as well. The evening I knelt at the chancel rail in Grace Church, Lewistown, and said I would allow Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord, my mother was on one side of me and my grandmother was on the other side of me. When I went to college, the family had a gathering because I was going out of state. And, and that evening of the family gathering, my great aunt Maud asked me to step into a, another room with her. She put her hands on my shoulders and looked me in the eye and she said, Denny, don't you ever forget where you came from. I'm not quite sure why she wasn't with us, with us but my, my dad and I paid a visit to my grandfather Hummel just before uh, mom and dad took me to college. Pappy Hummel lived on the farm where my dad was raised and there was a big fenced-in yard around the house and, and the farm lane ran beside that and there was a parking area out just a little ways from the gate where the family parked when they went to visit Pappy. And it was his custom, no matter the time of day or what the weather, he walked us to our cars. 
And he did it that day when Dad and I were there before he took me to college. And I remember Pappy leaning in the car window and saying to me, may you be the means for many to come to the Savior. He died while mom and dad were taking me to college to my freshman year. The last thing the man said was, may you be the means for many to come to know the Savior. I have known the intimacy of Christian family and its tremendous value in my life. I was raised in a neighborhood with lots of kids. It was full of kids back in those days, back in the, in the 50s. My childhood friends were, were many and, and over the years still were friends. And, and uh, over the years, as, as their parents died, they called me to come back and bury their parents for them. Now, in that neighborhood, when we were out playing, when we played from, from early morning to late at night, except when we went home for, for lunch or for supper, in that neighborhood, some kids were told, uh, be here, be home at a certain time. Other kids, parents, just called for them. And you'd hear them calling their voices out across the community. Not my mother and dad. They had to come see where I was. Now, I was, <laughs> I was never where I shouldn't have been. <laughs> Why would you laugh so hearty about that? <laughs> really, I, I was a pretty good guy. I was where I was supposed to be, but mom or dad would come across the yard or down the alley or wherever we told them we would be and call for me. At that stage of my life, I didn't find that, especially uh, acceptable. But now at three score and 10, it's very, very precious because I knew I belonged. I knew I was wanted. I have a wonderful, holy family history. You see, only family, only family can help us know who we are. Only family can help us understand that we really belong. It's with family that we understand and know what true relationship is about. And it's there we learn how to relate to one another, how to get along, how to settle our differences, how to spend life together. I am chagrined by social media today. The only reason I 
pay any attention to that at all is to do surveillance on you. I'm serious. And I have called parents in because of what I have seen on young people's social media. I have contacted families. That's my job as your pastor. And I see so often, not only with the young people, but with adults, it says, in a relationship with. In a relationship. What does that mean? What does that mean? I am in a relationship. Too often it pops up right after people have met. You're not in a relationship. You don't know anything about one another. I told the young people this morning in our contemporary worship, you have no business after two or three dates telling someone you love them. You don't. There's no way you know that. To begin with, in your teens, you don't have the maturity to make that kind of a distinction. It takes time to get to know people, to really develop a relationship and have that be rich and wonderful. It takes time to understand perspective. Do you know the values and the principles that make this person tick? I have had people come into my study in this church wanting to be married who were not able to tell me the church that their fiancé went to, let alone anything about their uh, theology or, or their philosophical points of view, their ethics, the values, the principles that would, that would channel their perspective in life. It takes time to develop those, and the method for developing those and for, for scoping those out and knowing what's real and what's genuine begins in the family where we understand our identity, where we have intimacy with one another, where we learn how to, to disagree and argue and finish so that it does not end with hate or broken relationship, but an even firmer and stronger relationship. That's what family's about. And when we begin to create new relationships, when we have these times that we're, we're uh, entering new relationships with someone, it is so, so critical that we take time and know what really makes the other person act and think and be what they are. The family is so important. As I was writing this sermon, as I told you, I do my sermon study and, and preparation at home where, where the house is quiet and, and it's just me and God working. And one of the days last week that this, was so beautiful, those wonderful days that we enjoyed. The windows were up and the clean, fresh air was, was coming in. And, and <clears throat> my attention was taken away from my work because I, I heard just, just a 
sudden crying and, and sobbing and then some screaming. And I could tell that it was coming from a young child. I looked out and there just onto the pavement in front of our house was a, a, a woman with a stroller, two children in the stroller, one behind the other, and a little girl in a pink coat and pink hat several feet behind her who had fallen. And it was very obvious her knee was messed up. Mom keeps going, and the girl's just screaming. Finally, Mom decides to turn around, and she says, what'd you do? What's the matter with you? And she went back, didn't even look at the child's knee. She said, come on, you're going to be fine. Mom went back <clears throat> to the stroller. The little girl stayed where she was. Mother yelled at her to get up with them, so the little girl went up. But when she got to her mother, she started to cry again. Mom goes off with the stroller. And the little girl stood there just sobbing and crying. So again, mom calls back. With all the tenderness of the first time. What's the matter with you? You're not hurt. Get up here. She's back to the child. Same thing. Little girl walks up to the stroller, stops there. Mom goes on, and the child stays there. Stand. She needed, she needed care. She needed mom's embrace. But I know mom was busy because, you see, from my vantage point, I could see that on the stroller, she had a holder for her cell phone. And she was reading off of her cell phone. It's in family. We learn how to relate. It's in family. We learn how to care. How to love. How to empathize. How to be responsible. Nurturing to one another. Family must be the staging area for what Christian love is about. It is in family that faith is tested and refined and the meaning of Christianity is put into interpersonal relationships. It's in the family that we learn how to, to live out our prayers and our Sunday school lessons and the, and the messages of our pastors. It's in our families those things happen. A few years ago, Better Homes and Gardens did a survey asking what people believe the greatest stress is to the family. The number one issue was not television, alcohol, or drugs. It was not divorce. It was not mothers working outside the home. The number one issue that more than 300,000 respondents gave to stress in the home 
was inattentive parents. Inattentive parents. Children are great learners. Children are great learners. When we think they're they're playing, they're also watching. When we think they're playing, they're also listening. And what they're watching and listening to is how to become a woman or a man. How to be an adult who is responsible. They're learning how to be selfish or unselfish, oblivious or caring. Now I want to note verse 5 again, and then I'm going to add to it verses 13 and 14. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. How you doing with that? How you doing with guarding the treasure of life in Christ, faith in the eternal Lord Jesus? Our children should receive from our families an undying faith. They should receive from our families an undying faith. They should see in our homes what it means to be Christians. Parents should be the primary source of their children's training. Parents should shape the lives of their children, not peer groups, schools, or even the church. Where do your children Learn how to pray. What is the primary value-shaping force in the life of your kids? Listen. We have no grounds on which to stand in criticizing other forces in our kids' lives 
when we don't train them with what is right. Parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts, church members. Whatever you do, whatever you do, pass on a heritage of holiness. We engage in dialogue here and we invest in conversation elsewhere. We listen to the news, we read reports, and we are longing for a healing of our country. We are longing for a healing, a stabilization in America. That is not going to happen. It is not going to happen until the homes of this nation are Christian homes. Until a holy heritage is established in the hearts and minds, yes, the lifestyles of our people. You do you do understand, don't you? There are now at least two and a half generations in America with no Christian heritage. No Christian memory. It's not difficult to see or know why we have become the nation we have. Beloved, make sure each generation after you knows the Savior, Son of God. Make sure each generation after you has a passion for ministry and mission and service. Make sure you give those generations that Contribute to a heritage of holiness. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks and praise again for your living word, for the eternal power and therefore endless possibilities for healing and wholeness, for reconciliation and peace, for direction and understanding in our homes. And Lord, when in our homes we agree 
and are in relationship with one another because we are in relationship with you. Then we are on the threshold of moving into a new tomorrow for our family, our church, our community, our nation. Father, I pray that the parents and the grandparents, members of extended families here today will be blessed by the truth of this word and that you will guide them and direct them in the application and the presentation of this truth in their homes for their dear ones. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand to sing.